Morning, church. Uh, says we've worshiped this morning. One of the passages of scripture that's been on my heart is where Jesus tells us that in this world we'll have trouble. He says, but take heart for I've overcome the world. And First John, it tells us that we overcome by our faith. And I know as a pastor and being around a lot of people and hearing things that go on in people's lives, one of the hardest parts is you hear about the pain and you hear about the, the, the tragedies. You hear all of that. And in that, as one part of the body grieves, we grieve with it and, um, and with them. And so it makes it challenging. Um, the one thing I cling to is, is the hope we have in the future um, that I certainly I'm not asking to go today necessarily, but I do long for the time when all that's wrong is made right. When all that uh, is broken is, is finally mended, when what's here is made new. And I do long for that. That's going to be a glorious day. And, and we have to remember that, that we're, this is not our home anymore, right? We've already been seated with Christ. Our eternity, if we have faith in Jesus, has already begun. And so we hold tight to that. And in these times, we uh, definitely pray for each other and, and strengthen one another. Um, we're going to continue today in uh, looking at this question of who is God. And it's a very broad question, obviously. And, um, and we're going to kind of break it up into different pieces as we go along. The next uh, two, three weeks, I really want to be looking at an aspect of God uh, that is huge for us to understand. Um, part of it is, part, is who he is. Part of it is uh, dealing with uh, one person of the Godhead, being the Spirit. And I want to do this simply because when we look at the Father, Son, and Spirit, we have some concept of the Father, we have some concept of uh, what a father is, even if our concept of a father is jacked up, right, because of our earthly experience, um, we have some concept of the father. Um, now, the word, the truth of God's word is there to show us more clearly who our heavenly father is, to correct what may be wrong from our experience and our understanding of the father. So typically, we can come to some kind of understanding of who the Father is. When it comes to the Son, He walked on earth as we did, or we do. He, he came and dwelt among us. He, he put on flesh, and so we're able to look at Jesus, and we can kind of relate to Christ from a standpoint of, of someone tangible. Um, but when it comes to the Holy Spirit, we're kind of like, what? Right? Because He's invisible. Right, uh, the word for spirit in in the New Testament is a Greek word, pneuma. It means uh, spirit or breath or wind, all of which are uh, invisible. You really can't see them, right? And so uh, it, it makes the Holy Spirit kind of gray and vague uh, to us. And so we're going to be looking at the person of the Spirit, and today we're going to look at um, him as the Bible calls him in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It calls him the spirit of grace. And I want you to see this because this is huge for us to begin to understand. 
He's huge for us as uh, in our individual lives with Christ, having a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit, God, but it's also huge for us in our corporate purpose. Um, we'll never accomplish God's purposes for us as the, his church um, apart from the Spirit of God working in us and through us. And so we're going to look at this. First, I want to pray. Um, then we're going to get into this message. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its truth. I thank you that it is the truth. God, I thank you that you're here with us, that every word of your truth is uh, that you're faithful to fulfill it. So God, I thank you that you're here. I pray we would become more aware of your presence. I pray, God, that we would um, today open our ears to hear our 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 hearts to receive, Lord, what you have for us. Holy Spirit, would you move among us in a mighty way? Today, God, would you cleanse us? Would you tear down strongholds in our mind that exist? God, lies that we've believed that don't line up with your truth. God, um, that today we'd have even a greater revelation of who you are and what you've done for us, God, and the calling you have on our lives to move your kingdom forward. We love you, Lord, in Christ's name, amen. Well, I'm getting old, and it's a good thing, right? The good thing that you're getting old beats the other, you know, alternative. And so, uh, but what I realize is, is if you're like me, and, and some of you are, everybody at nine pretty much was like me because that's the old group, right? But if you're like me, then you can be a little technologically challenged. Anybody else a little technologically challenged? I see some young hands. That's a little surprising. Y'all need to catch up. And so, um, I'm a little technologically challenged. Not bad. I can figure things out. I can, you know, play around with it long enough to figure out some stuff, and I'm not that bad, but I am somewhat technologically challenged. Um, for example, this week I was in my office. I'm working in a program on my computer. I think it was Evernote, and, and so uh, if you're a wizard with Evernote, don't come tell me. I don't care, and so, um, but I'm working in Evernote, and I'm trying to just get it to indent, right? Not just tab indent, like indent, move the whole thing over. Right, So that when I go and the sentence gets long, it comes back to that point, not this point. You know what I'm saying? And so I looked, and there's a shortcut to do the indention. And so it was an arrow up with a little swirly thing. I have a Mac, so the little swirly thing means command. And then another little bracket button. And so I'm like, okay, arrow up, command, bracket button. I kept doing that, but every time I hit arrow up command bracket, it just shot the cursor all the way to the top of the page. At this point, I'm becoming extremely frustrated because I'm like, I'm doing what this thing says. Arrow up, command, bracket. Arrow up, command, bracket. Nothing but going up to the top of the page. And so I'm getting frustrated. So before I threw my computer, I get up and I walked into David's office and I said, David, I don't know what these people did who made this program, but I need, you got to help me before I break this thing. And I said, why every time I do what it says, I hit arrow up, I hit command, and I hit bracket. It does not indent. It goes to the top of the page. Arrow up, command, bracket. 
He said, because arrow up means shift, not the arrow up. Like, oh. You know, and I realized like, okay, the, the up arrow doesn't mean up arrow. It means shift. So now it's shift command bracket. And so I figured it out. But, but the thing I realized about all of this, and it was really frustrating, is in a lot of ways, if you don't come along with technology and have an understanding of these things, you really become limited in a lot of ways. Technology can be a bad thing, but it can be a really good thing too. Uh, but if we don't stay with the technology, we kind of get left behind. Um, I, I want to compare that to um, our understanding of the Holy Spirit. See, what happens is if, if our understanding of the Spirit is limited, if our experience with the Spirit is limited, then it's hard for us to um, have the capability to do everything that God created us to do and now has given us back the ability to do through his Spirit, right? Through our faith in Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit and the Spirit works in us to do what we can't do. In fact, one of the ways we limit God is in our lack of understanding in the spirit, of the spirit, who he is. Another way that we've limited God is by our lack of understanding of grace. Uh, typically, grace is defined as um, God's unmerited favor or his unconditional love. And that is true because of God's unmerited favor, because of God's unconditional love for us, the grace of God working through Christ and the Spirit bringing us to faith. Because of that, we have become the children of God. We have been saved, right? We, we've come into a relationship with God. But it's, it's even bigger than that. In fact, today, and, and I want you to keep up with me because I want to lay some kind of a, some groundwork to build off of as we move forward. But today I want to give you a definition of grace. We're probably going to use this for the next few weeks. So I want you to have this definition. Put it in your phone. Uh, make it your screensaver or do something with it where you'll see it, right? But this is a definition of grace. Someone gave me a definition of grace. I kind of made it my own. And so this is what I felt like God showed me through this. That grace, it's not just God's unmerited favor and his love, but through that unmerited and favor and love. Grace is God's desire and ability to do for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do ourselves. God's God's Desire and ability to do for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do ourselves. So it's not just God's desire, this desire. I have this love and this favor that, that I desire for, for them. It's not just his want to. It's also his ability that God doesn't just desire to do these things. He has the ability to do these things. And what are the things he does? He does things for us. He does things in us. He does things through us that otherwise we cannot do. And so it is huge that we understand God, the Spirit, as the Spirit of grace who works for us, in us, and through us to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. It's huge. It's huge for us to see this. We've got to understand it. 
So I want you to remember that, that definition of grace. It's bigger than what we typically think of. In fact, we've got to begin to think differently. I believe where we are as a church, we've got to break out of certain paradigms, certain ways of thinking and realize that God has more for his church, that God, God is bigger than what we think. The second thing I want you to see as we lay this groundwork is I want you to see the Old Testament and the New Testament, maybe in a way you've never seen before. See, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a division in your Bible for a reason. It wasn't just because they were like, well, people will probably be tired of reading by now. We better put in something else, right? It wasn't because of that. The Old Testament, um, testament, the word that, that's translated testament can also mean covenant. So you can say the Old the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. A covenant is an agreement. So the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, is the agreement or the way God related to his people before Christ. Okay, so the reason it's old is because there's something new. So the New Testament or the New Covenant that we have in Christ is different from the old covenant. The old covenant is laying a foundation for the revelation of Christ in the new covenant. And so the new Testament, the new covenant is a different agreement in a way that God um, responds to and, and works with and relates to his people. So he did this one way in the old Testament, laying a foundation for what the new Testament is going to build. So there was an old covenant, an old agreement, an old way God related. Then there became a new uh, covenant, a new agreement, a new way that God related. And see, if you look at the Old Testament, there were countless times where the Spirit of God would descend upon a person and, and give them the ability. He would do something um, in them and through them and, and for them that they could not have done for themselves. It happens over and over and over again. But the Spirit of God was given for specific moments, and, and then the Spirit did not remain on them. It was more of a special situation where the Spirit of God would come upon someone. They would do this great thing, uh, usually to deliver the people of God, but it wasn't where God's spirit just remained. When we get to the New Testament, though, what we see is that because of Jesus, now that we have right standing, we've been made righteous with God. We've had right standing with God. Our sin has been removed. The spirit of God through faith in Christ has come into us and dwells in us and with us consistently. How awesome is that, right? The spirit of God, the spirit of grace that does for us, in us, and through us what we can't do for ourselves doesn't just come on us in specific moments, but is with us all the time in us. Glad you're excited about that, man. God of the universe lives in you. So anyway, I want you to see that. So one, the definition of grace has got to be bigger. We got to think different. God doing for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do for ourselves. Second thing, God relates to us differently in the New Testament than he did in the Old Testament. The Spirit would descend for a reason, for a special season, for a time. Now the Spirit is in us, dwells with us, in us, all the time. We have God in us and with us 
forever. Third thing, all groundwork, right? I want to read a scripture out of Hebrews. Hebrews 1.3. The writer of Hebrews says this about Jesus. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Okay? So he tells us that Jesus is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation or the exact imprint of his being. What's he saying? He's saying when you look to Jesus, you can see the Father. Jesus even said, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father. Why? Because Colossians 1.19 tells us that all the fullness of the deity, all the fullness of God dwelt in Christ. So if we want to know what the Father is like, if we want our understanding of God to be corrected and not be bound up or held up or incorrect by our experiences in the world that may have taught us something incorrect about God. If I want to know who the Father is, I look to the person of Jesus. I look at the heart of Christ. I look at the character and nature and attributes of Jesus. When I look to Jesus, I read about Christ in the Bible. I see, see his heart and his character, his nature. Then I can go, oh, that's what the Father's like. That's his heart. That's what he's about. So we see that. And maybe you've seen that before. Listen to this. John 14, verse 15. Jesus says this. He's getting close to the the cross. He's talking to them about the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, he says, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, but it neither sees him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now he tells them this if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Look, our, our obey, this is a rabbit trail. But our obedience to the laws or the the, the commands that Jesus gave, love God, love your neighbor as yourself, it comes out of our love for God, not of a guilty conscience. And he says, look, if you love me, keep my commands. I'll ask the Father, he will give you another advocate. The word for another is alos, alos. It means one other than me, but one just like me. So he's saying, look, I'm going to send another. This other is going to be just like me, but not me. So what does that tell us? It tells us not only can I look at the person of Christ, his character, nature, attributes, and understand who the Father is, but I can look at the person of Jesus, his character, nature, attributes, and I can begin to understand who the Spirit is it makes him kind of less gray and vague. Does that make sense? Nod. And so we see this, God's grace, his ability to do in us or for us, in us and through us what we can't do for ourselves. The fact that the spirit of grace is working in us, with us all the time. That I can understand who the spirit is by looking Jesus, I want you to get this. This is important that you understand this. When it comes to the Father and the Son and the Spirit, they have the same attributes, the same character, the same nature. 
but they have different functions, okay? They have the same character, attributes, nature, but they have different functions. They are the same, but they function to do something different. And in this function of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of grace, we see him working from Genesis 1 all the way through to the end of Revelation. He is still working today, the Spirit of grace. But I want you to understand this, that the life, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus was a climactic act of God's grace, okay? Stay with me. The crucifixion of Christ, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension to heaven was a climactic act of grace. All of, the, of history tells us that there's one who's coming to save the world. When we look at scripture, the old covenant points us to him. And there was this climactic moment in time where this incredible act of grace happens. But Pentecost, the Pentecost was the festival at which the Holy Spirit was poured out on God's people, those who had put their faith in Christ. I want you to see this, that Pentecost was a climactic experience of grace that is now continuous. Why? Because God deals with his people differently. He relates to us differently in Christ as he abides in us and with us forever than he did in the Old Testament when he would just put his spirit on to bring us to the point of Christ. Does that make sense? Is that kind of coming together a little bit? Y'all already think about the Super Bowl. Chicken wings, ice cold Coke. So God doing for us, in us, and through us, what we cannot do for ourselves. How? Through the spirit of grace who now abides in us and with us and works in us and through us all the time, forever. This experience of grace. Here's the thing, guys. If Jesus had died on the cross, buried, raised on the third day, ascends to heaven, and the spirit was not given as God has promised. Listen, there would be no experience of the grace of God. Do you see how important the spirit is? There would be nothing in us that cries out to God in worship. Why, we still be dead. Who is it that makes us alive? The spirit of God who comes into us through faith takes us from dead in our sins to alive in Christ. It's huge. And the spirit doesn't just come in that moment where somebody sings a song and it builds up and you go, oh. He's all the time. But listen, as the spirit of God, when we look at this, when we begin to see this, I don't think it's a coincidence that the spirit is so neglected in the church because Satan knows if we begin to understand and walk with the person of the Holy Spirit, his kingdom falls. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. He tells us to abide and there'll be much fruit. How do we abide? The spirit in us, the spirit with us. God with us. I want you to listen to Joel 2.28. 
This is the prophet Joel. If you don't know where it's at in the Bible, probably not going to find it. Little B book. Go to Daniel, hang a right, a couple books over. But he says in Joel 2.28, he's prophesying about what God is one day going to do. He says, and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And there's more to it, guys. I don't have time to read it all. But, but go now to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. This is the day of Pentecost. I told you this is the day that the Spirit was poured out. It was a festival. The Jews from all these all different places were coming to worship and, and for this festival. And, and this day is the day that the Spirit comes. And there's a lot of reasons for that. I don't have time to talk about it today. But Acts 2.1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now listen, after this happens, the Spirit of God comes on. They got these flames on their head and they begin to speak in tongues. The Bible says that these people from all these different nations that had come for this festival they began to hear them praising God and declaring the wonders of God and but they could hear them in their own language and some of them were like oh wow that is awesome that's incredible that's got to be God and then just like with any move of God there's always the skeptics and they just went they're drunk Peter's defense of them not being drunk wasn't like no we don't drink alcohol he said no it's only nine in the morning He's like, we would have a problem if we were already drunk. Verse 14, then Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem. Let me explain this to you. So he's telling them about this phenomenon. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose because it's only nine o'clock in the morning. Come back at three. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So what's he saying? It sounds very much like Joel 2.28. Why? Because it is. What's he saying? He's saying, look, people, you know this. You're the Jews. You know these scriptures. You got most of them memorized. He's saying what, what Joel said, this is it. This is a climactic experience, a climactic moment when God poured out his spirit, the spirit of grace on those who had come to faith in Christ. And now that experience of grace and the power of the spirit lived in them, went with them wherever they went. It's incredible to think about. But listen, if we neglect the spirit of God, we've got nothing We have nothing. We talked about last week how God is a God of relationship. We talked about last week how he desires to reconcile us to himself. And we come to faith. The spirit brings us to faith. And we, we, we say yes. And we receive the, the grace and the, the goodness of God and the forgiveness of sin through Jesus. We receive that. 
We made alive in Christ, and it's that moment of salvation where we're saved from our sin, from the wrath of God, as we talked about last week. And we come to that place, that moment. But see, that moment of salvation is to bring us into relationship. See, not only have we misunderstood grace in a lot of ways, we've also misunderstood or limited salvation. Most of us, when we think about salvation, we don't even think about God. What do we think about? Heaven has nothing to do with God. Has nothing to do with the relationship with God. In the southern church, when we think about salvation, we think about heaven with very little mention of God. We think about eternal life, because why? One day I'm going to die. Why do we want to go to heaven? Because I don't want to go to the other place. But see, we think about salvation as, as just a place we go. What we don't realize is the purpose of salvation is to reconcile us with God in a relationship with him. What did a relationship do for us? It brings his presence into our life. John 17, Jesus says, I believe it's in verse three. He says, this is eternal life to know the father. When we come to know the Father through Jesus, eternal life begins. It doesn't wait until you take your last breath. You're already in it. Why? Because I know the Father. What's the treasure of heaven? God. Keep the streets of gold. I don't care. I want him. Keep the mansion. Salvation is about his presence. It's about being with him. Eternal life is knowing him, not being separated from him. And so the spirit of grace works, the spirit of Pentecost works to bring us into this relationship, to bring us into this reconciled place with God so that the spirit of grace has now done for us what we could not do, brought us to a place of faith in Jesus so that we can come to a, a place of trusting in his provision, trusting in his life and death, him taking our sin, him taking God's wrath, my forgiveness now through faith in him. I'm able to come to a place of realizing the Spirit opens my eyes to see that I can't be good enough, that God did for me what I could never do. The Spirit comes into me. He begins to work in me, the Spirit of grace. Paul told Titus, it's the grace of God that teaches you to say no to ungodliness. It's not a guilty conscience and a bunch of rules. It's the grace of God, the presence of God working in me. It's realizing the goodness of God and my life begins to change. Why? Because I'm abiding in him. He's abiding in me and he begins to work on me from the inside so the outside changes. I don't clean myself up and try to look all good to fool all my friends or all the people at work so that I can try to work something in. God comes in and then he works it out. And so it's for this relationship, the spirit of grace, this relationship, God doing for me, man, he's brought me to himself. He still does things for me I can't do for myself. He has saved me. He is saving me. He will save me. And the grace of God, the spirit of God. Listen, this is huge, y'all. This is huge 
the Spirit of God in me tells me and assures me just as we sang that I am his, that, that, that I am who he says I am, that I've been made right with Christ. The Spirit of God is given as a guarantee and a deposit. He tells me that I've been accepted as a son, accepted as a daughter, so I don't have to wonder, am I saved? I can definitively say, praise God, through Jesus he saved me and I'll spend eternity with him. And so the Spirit secures me, and I know I'm anchored in this. Why? Because I trust in Christ, and the Spirit tells me that I've been accepted. In the present, the Spirit gives me strength. By faith, the Spirit in me, he gives me strength in the storm. When all hell's breaking loose around me, God, I don't understand, but I know I need you. God, I need the spirit of grace to do in me what I can't do right now because everything inside of me is wanting to fall apart. But if you can hold the universe in place, then certainly you can speak peace to my soul. And the future, he's the one that, the guarantee and the deposit of what we're gonna inherit, what we're gonna um, be able to, experience that this world's not my home and even though between here in the present and here in the future I'm going to experience pain and challenges and trials and tribulation I'm going to hold on by faith because I know a better day's coming told you several weeks ago it's not going to be easy but the spirit of grace in us I want to show you this we got to Move fast, y'all listen fast. Exodus chapter 33. I want you to see again the difference in the Old Testament and the New Testament because this is, this is important. In, in Exodus 33, they've, they've received the Ten Commandments. Moses hears a commotion on the mountain. He comes down. Now Aaron's made a calf and they start worshiping the calf. How crazy to worship something you created. We do it all the time. So let that one sink in. Think about it at lunch. Talk about it. So they, they've made this golden calf. They're worshiping it. He comes down, and because of their sin, we come into Exodus 33. In Exodus 33, God tells them, look, you're about to go up and inherit this land that I'm giving you, and I'm going to send my angel ahead of you. He's going to take out all your enemies so that you can inhabit the land. But it says in there that the people were distressed by this. Why? Because God basically said, y'all are a stiff-necked, disobedient people. I ain't going. I'll send my angel. You can go in, but I'm not going with you. They were all distressed and, and upset. And then this is what it says in verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp at some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance. While the Lord spoke with Moses, whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshiped each at their entrance, at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young age, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. 
Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. In other words, God, look, an angel's not gonna cut it. You got to go with us. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, if your present does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? I want you to see this because there are so many ways that, that we live like we're in the Old Testament, this old covenant, this old agreement, rather than living in the new covenant, this new um, agreement, this new way that God relates to us by walking in the spirit, by worshiping, by laying our lives down uh, because of the grace of God in us and working in us and having worked in our life. We live more like we're in the Old Testament. You look at this. He says that the tent was some distance from the camp. The tent and, and later the temple, this is important. The tent and later the temple was representative of the presence of God with Israel. But what does it mean if the tent is outside the camp? That God's distant. Who does it say would go into the tent? Moses. It says that the people would go and Moses would go out to the tent and they'd go out, but they didn't go in the tent. Listen, he would go in the tent. He would be in God's presence. The people would go and they'd say, Moses, can you ask God something for me? Could you tell me something from the Lord? He goes in, he meets with God, he comes out, thus says the Lord. Joshua attended the tent. He was there to attend. Joshua didn't go in the tent. Who went in the tent? Moses. Who did God speak to face to face? Moses. Why? Because God dealt with people in the old covenant differently than he deals with people in the new covenant. See, today, even though we do this, we shouldn't, we oftentimes look to one person, hello, to be our Moses, to go into the presence, to come out and give us a word from God. When the thing we've got to realize is it's no longer a tent of meeting or a temple that distinguishes us from all the people in the earth. Now we've become the temple and the Holy Spirit resides in us individually and corporately. You don't need me to be your mediator. There's only one mediator. His name is Jesus. What you need to realize is because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross, paying the price for your sin, making you right with God, he's put his presence in you so that you can go into his presence. You can go boldly before his throne of grace. You can go into the tent and meet with God. You don't have to depend on me. But that's not how we live. We're wasting the spirit of God. We're, we're, we're quenching the spirit. We don't even acknowledge him most of the time. And there's been abuses, yes. People get in the flesh sometimes. They do stupid stuff sometimes. But a lot of what some of you think is stupid is from God. Some of us need to reel in our emotions just a little bit and hold to the truth. Some of us need to check our, our mind a little bit and quit leaning on our own understanding and with shameless audacity, as we talked about last week, say, God, I don't know what all you have for me, but whatever it is, I want it. 
See, this is an issue, guys. Why, why, did, why did Moses want God to go with him? I've always read that verse. I'm like, man, that's cool. Moses, he's like, I ain't going without you, God. I'm like, why though? Why was it? Was it to defeat the enemies? He said he was going to do that through an angel. If it was to defeat the enemies, he just sends the angel. What was it? The key is in the last verse I read. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? Listen, listen. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Why was the tent of meeting so important, the tabernacle so important, the temple so important? Because it showed everybody in the world that these were the people of God. They were different, that God dwelt amongst them, that God had his hand on them, so that that represented God with them. Here's the thing, y'all. If this was the most important, it was more important than the law, the sacrifices, everything else, that this temple is in our midst, that the tabernacle's in our midst, it's why it was such a big deal that it was outside the camp because the point of it was that God is with us. He distinguishes us from every other nation. What is it that distinguishes God's temple today, his church from everybody else in the world, his presence? I just did a little fat preacher jump, didn't I? I don't think I've done that in 15 years of preaching. Whoop. But we got to see this, y'all. If we neglect the Spirit, I've said this for 10 years. If the Father is in heaven and Jesus is seated at his right hand. Who is among us? But how many churches, listen, how many churches, including this one, how many times do we stand and worship, but the presence is outside the tent? Or we stand and worship because of one person's experience with God. You can't live off of my experience with God. You can't live off of my gifting. It ain't much to live off of. And you don't have to, but we do. And listen, this is not to shame you. This is to encourage you, exhort you. Friday morning, I was praying for the church. I was praying about what to share. And the spirit, I mean, I'm just telling you, it can sound weird, I don't care. But with shameless audacity, I'm going to tell you, the Spirit of God began to speak to me. And it was like a fire went off in my heart, this fire of encouragement and exhortation. I started texting people. I'm like, they got to know they're valuable to the kingdom. They got to know what they're doing is not unnoticed. They got to know that I love them, that God loves them, that he's using them in a mighty way. And what I want to tell you is that you, depending on me or someone else, or going through the motion, half telling it to get by, listen, that's not good enough. You're too valuable to the kingdom. You've got too much to offer. I can't do this by myself. A few of us can't do this by ourselves. It's going to take the whole church without a name on a wall to come together and to work together to accomplish the purposes of God. What I'm telling you is get away from this burden of law where you're trying to make yourself right and begin to celebrate the grace of God that's been poured out into your heart. Begin to live for God, not 
because I have a guilty conscience, but because I don't. He's made my conscience clear. I've been forgiven. How do I know? The Spirit tells me so. I'm going to press in. I'm going to pursue. How could I not want to know a God like that? I don't know why bad things happen. I don't know why that happened this weekend. I don't know why things happen, but I know this. I can't look to the cross without knowing that God is good. And when I look at him, I'm going to pursue him. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pursue and I'm going to worship. And I'm going to praise. I'm going to serve him, not out of a guilty conscience, but out of a heart of love and gratitude, out of the spirit in me, crying out, Abba, Father, causing worship in my heart. I'm not going to keep making empty sacrifices. Jesus was the last sacrifice. I don't have to make a sacrifice again. Listen, I don't have to offer this guilty church attendance anymore. I don't have to do token Bible reading. I don't have to make rote prayers to cross my finger, hope I die, stick a needle in my eye. Maybe God will do something good and nothing bad will happen. I don't have to have heart Sunday morning worship. I can come into the presence during the week so that what happens when I walk through the doors is an overflow of what God's been doing all week long. Then this becomes a celebration, not a motivational speech trying to get you to press into God. Listen, there was a priesthood in the Old Testament. It was the priest. It was descendants from Aaron, Moses' brother. They were the priests. They would go in and, and that one man once a year would go into the presence of God behind the curtain. They would go in. They'd get to go in one time a year for a sacrifice. And listen, there was a priesthood. But now the New Testament is what's called a priesthood of all believers. See, I'm not the mediator. I'm just one of the priests. We're all priests with different gifts, with different things that God's called us to be a part of. You don't need me to direct you. You don't need me to program you. The Spirit of God, if you have faith in Christ, is in you. Now press into God and allow Him to begin to do in you what you cannot do and through you what you cannot not do. You're more valuable and gifted than what you think. And it's not to make you arrogant. It's not to make you soft. It's to make you come with a resolve that come hell or high water, we're pressing forward with the kingdom. How does, how does it happen though? How does it happen? I was thinking about that. And I go back to Luke 11, guys. There's no secret to this. There's no one, two, three, bam, spirit of grace. Woo! What is it? It's a relationship. It's cultivating a relationship. It's walking with God. Not because I got to, but oh my gosh, the God of the universe that holds it all together desires to walk with me. And it doesn't stop with me. His love for me compels me to the world. Luke 11, ask, seek, knock. Come with shameless audacity. Luke 11, 8, shameless audacity. I was thinking about this morning, and I'm gonna hush. I was thinking about this morning, like how can I kind of explain this? How can I give you some frame of reference? And, and it's hard. Why? Because... I can't do it. I can't receive the Spirit. I can't. Like, even if I pray for you, the Bible talks about laying hands and praying. But listen, God is the one. Jesus sends the Spirit. How do I make that? I can't make that happen. But I was thinking about how, how does this work in my life? And I was thinking about that. And I was like, 
I thought about that word again for spirit, pneuma. You know, I don't think it's coincidental that it means spirit and that it means breath. Why? Because God breathed life into man. The spirit, the breath made them alive. The spirit comes into us, makes us alive. And, and I know this is just for me. Take it for what it is and if it helps, good. For me, experiencing and walking in the truth of God and the walking in the spirit of grace, it's kind of like breathing. What do you do when you breathe deeply? Your lungs expand. You make room for the air. The air comes in and it expands and it fills you. Then what do you do? You breathe out. Because of what God has done for us through Jesus, his grace has allowed us to breathe in the spirit, to make room, to surrender, to, to come and empty myself, my agenda, to humble myself at the foot of the cross, not in shame and guilt, but in gratitude and thanksgiving. I come to that place that I, I lay it down at his feet. God, it's all yours. God, I know it's gonna be hard at times, but God, more than anything else, I need you. More than anything else, God, if you're gonna do anything in my life, I need you in me. Why? Because I can't do it on my own. I can't make it happen, God. I need you. I'm asking God. I'm seeking God. I'm knocking God. And I'm standing on the promise that if I ask, I'll receive. That if I seek, I'll find. If I knock, the door will be open. I thank you that you're here, Lord. I thank you that you come into me. God, not because I'm righteous, but because you're righteous. Clean up my life, Lord. Clean it up. But, but God, let me walk in your love. Don't ever take your presence from me. Thank you that you've promised to never leave me nor forsake me. Breathe him in. I breathe him in. I make room. I make room. And then I breathe out. God comes in. He does in me what I cannot do. And then he does through me what I cannot do. The living water of the spirit flows out of me. I breathe in. I breathe out. I breathe in. I breathe out. For some of you, listen. And I'm not telling you to go home and go, Yep, that's the spirit. I'm telling you, make room. Make room. Get out of the box. Get out of your paradigm, your way of thinking. God, I want more. Get in the word. Pray with somebody. Get with somebody that, that walks in the spirit, that knows the spirit, that, that, that can lead you and help you in that, that can walk with you. Hunger and thirst for him, you will be filled. I promise. Cultivate it. For some of you, listen, the problem's gonna be your logic. You're very logical. And, and, and you're gonna lean into your own understanding. The thing I'm telling you is not to check your mind at the door, but what I am telling you is stand on the promises of God. Don't lean on your own understanding, but acknowledge him, trust him. Let him direct your path. Let him do what he wants to do in your life. For some of you, it's gonna be emotion. This breathing in and breathing out, the issue's not gonna be logic, it's gonna be emotion. You're gonna be like me. When something happens, you don't go, I need your spirit. You go, I wanna kill somebody. We gotta back up. Breathe in, 
Make room. God, I, I'm mad right now. I need you, God. I know this is not from you. I need you. Make room. I've seen this in my own life. If you'll hunger and thirst for God, if you'll begin to read his word and, and all of it's not gonna make sense. Heck, all of it doesn't make sense to me. There's still things I don't know, I don't understand, but God's gonna reveal. Ask the spirit to speak. The Bible's full of places where the spirit speaks, the spirit speaks. Let God open your eyes. Pray that God opens your eyes. Press in hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for Christ, hunger and thirst in prayer, in the word. Ask, seek, and knock, and you'll find him. Go after him with shameless audacity. Don't worry about your roommate. Don't worry about the person next to you today. Don't worry about the classmate. Don't worry about the professor that makes fun of you because you have faith. Who's going to be laughing in the end? Pray for them that they, because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess at some point or another. Pray that they do it before they draw their last breath. Press in. Today, listen, I, I'm going to close this out real quick, but today, today the Lord's speaking to you to come to a relationship with Christ, not a religious action, but a walking with him in, in a relationship. And you've never done that. I don't want to belabor the point, but if you're here and that's where you're at, the Lord is drawing you to himself, then I'm gonna ask you right now that you would just stick your hand up in the air, say, that's me. We're not doing it with heads bowed and eyes closed because this is something to celebrate. It's not something to be ashamed of. With shameless audacity, your first step of faith is saying yes to Christ. Amen. Amen. Listen, uh, Last thing, I want to pray and we're going to get out of here. But today you say, I'm, man, I want more of the God of grace. I'm tired of carrying the burden of religion. Jesus' yoke hasn't been easy and the burden hasn't been light. You've been working your tail off trying to make yourself right with God. And today you say, look, I, I need the spirit of God working in me. I want the spirit of God working through me. Then if that's where you're at, I want you to stand to your feet and we're gonna pray right now. We're gonna ask and seek and knock. But today you say, I want more of God. God, whatever it is you have for me, I want it. Pour your spirit out into my heart. I wanna breathe in. I wanna breathe out. I wanna make room for you today, God. Speak to my heart. If that's your heart's desire, then stand up. We wanna pray. God, right now we come to you. God, shameless audacity, we come to you, God. We ask that you'd fill us. We ask, God, we, we thank you that you give, that you're faithful. We thank you for the promises that are true, that if we ask, we receive. God, right now we come to you and we seek. We seek after you, God. Would you work in, in our hearts, God? Would you send the Spirit to flood us, every ounce of us, God, as we make room for you today, God, as we breathe you in, as we make room, we surrender to you. We cast our idols away, God. Nothing coming between us and you, God. We turn our hearts back to you. God, we, we ask that you 
flood us with your spirit. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, God, that you fan into flame the spirit of God that we received by faith in Christ. We thank you for that, Lord. God, we knock, we knock, and we're gonna pursue, we're gonna press in with everything in us, God, to, to come after you. God, we sing the song where you're coming after us, but God, that makes me wanna come after you. God, I want, I want more of you. God, we want more of you. Do, do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Do through us what we cannot do for ourselves. God, give us boldness and courage. Make us willing to, 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 to go forward in shameless audacity in the kingdom. We love you, Lord. Thank you for who you are, what you've done. In Christ's name.